0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Ephesians chapter 3, if you'll turn there please. This is the title of this sermon. How should I pray for my family? Um, This is one of the biggest responsibilities we have, especially as fathers, is praying for our family. I used to think... Uh, I assumed that what I was supposed to do is pray that all they would have no trouble in life, right? That all the troubles would go away, and that you that God would keep them from falling into any problems in life. Then I studied the book of James, and it just it just stunned me that the book of James says that God uses trials in our lives to bring us to maturity in Christ. Uh, for example, in the very first beginning of the book, in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy whenever you fall into various tribulations. You, tr- you fall into trouble, you should count it joy. And there's why, he says, because we know that tribulation works, refines our faith. It works uh, endurance. And endurance will refine our faith so that our faith is actually stronger. Have you found this to be true? That when you go through trouble, you come to have a stronger faith in the living God. That's, how, that's what God's design is. But then James says, but you have to let endurance have its perfect work. You have to endure. One of the things that happens to us, is, uh, and it sure happens to me, I feel like I'm a victim of this, but it's actually just my character, that you can get so upset because things aren't going right. I fell asleep in my chair the other day. I hadn't slept very good that night before, and so I'm laying there, I fell asleep, and when I woke up, uh, I had my computer in my lap, and, and um, a guy was preaching that I've listened to many times. And this is what he was saying. He said, I, in the middle of my pastoring this church down in the south, I got moved up to the east, and I was in a church that was made up of mostly older people. And he said, I discovered that older people have all kinds of anxiety. I woke up to this. I thought, well, of course we do. And he said, it's because that we're afraid of losing what we have. We worry about losing what we have. And he said, I was a young man and I didn't have any of those anxieties. I had peace. I thought that's what Christians were supposed to have, he said. But then I come to find out that I had an ignorant peace. It wasn't based on truth. I was just ignorant of what life was really about. But he said, then I came to discover what the Bible says, that God uses these times of troubles in our life to get our attention and to build our faith in him. One of the things, you saw that verse, that's actually a translation by a guy, that's, it's, but that's what the verse says. If you read it in almost any translation... Now, you heard the King James this morning, and some of you are wondering what twain is. I ought to make Steve come back up here and tell us what twain is. It means two. Anyway, I'm going to preach to you from the ESV, which is a more modern translation. There's no twains or twixes in here. Uh, but uh, God wants, us, wants to use trouble in our life. But the problem with, with trouble, the problem with tribulations, is that what comes out is who we really are. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? It scares us. And uh, we see that we're not near as strong as we thought we were. We actually thought we were spiritual giants. And it appears from our response to the situation that we're spiritual pygmies. And so we begin to worry about that. (laughs) But the fact is that what God wants to do is he wants to use these trials to bring us to maturity. But we have to let endurance have its perfect work. Now endurance means to abide under pressure. In other words, to continue to love God and believe God under the pressures of life. And he said, but you have to let it have its perfect work. You have to continue on in trusting him, in loving him, in believing his word. That passage, on that passage, uh, Zephaniah 3, 17. Zephaniah is a book of judgment. When you go back and read it, it's a minor prophet. And what he talks about is the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, he was talking about a day of the Lord that came a long time ago. The day of the Lord is an expression that's used of God's judgment, that he comes in judgment, first on his people. Judgment begins in the household of faith. God, first of all, deals with his people, and then he deals with the world. And so uh, they were. this prophet Zephaniah was warning them that the day of the Lord was coming, and that their works were going to be judged because they thought they had such a special relationship with God that God was perfectly content with them, even though they were paying no attention to him. You know what it's like to be with somebody who pays no attention to you? Isn't that irritating? That's irritating. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) They think I do that. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to pay attention to him. His love for us is so great and so glorious. I don't know if you noticed it there, but it said that God is with us. Well, that's the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God with us. And He loves us. Uh, it's it's mind boggling, isn't it, that He loves us this much? That He expresses His love with shouts of joy, it says. God's love for you is so overwhelming. The love of Christ is so amazing. In fact, that's one of the things he tells us to pray for. What I'm going to do is we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, and what we have here is we have an example of how we ought to pray for our families. Now, a family, in fact, let me read the passage. If you'll turn to chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named, Actually, the the Greek word for father is the same as the root of the word for family. A family is a group of people who are bound together by a common father. They have the same father. And that's what binds us together. And that's who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. We are a, a family because we have the same father, same spiritual father, the God of the universe. And so he says that every family in heaven and on earth is named after the father the almighty God who created this universe. And then he goes on and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. For some reason, the Bible seems to say that God is interested in you understanding how much he loves you, how much Jesus Christ loves you. He wants you to know that because you're going to go through things in life and you're going to question whether he really loves you. What is he doing? Why is he allowing this in your life? He goes on, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I have, uh, in fact, I've got some great grandkids here. Those two really good looking kids back there against the wall, those are my grandkids, my great grandkids. And so he says, all these future generations, we want them to come to know the love of God. We want them to know how much God loves them and how they're the apple of his eye and to, and to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Well, here, let me show you this. Paul's leaving us an example. We're, we're to follow his example in praying for our family. Now, our family includes the family of God. You are my brothers and sisters, and so I pray for you. Now, first of all, notice this, his concern and his posture in prayer. What's your posture in prayer? If you, go through, if you read through the Bible, you'll find out that most people pray standing up. That's the common posture in the Bible for prayer. People stand in the presence of God. Sometimes they're, they're slain, and they fall down on their face. I heard a preacher, he was asked if he believed in being slain in the Spirit. And he says, of course, it's in the Bible. There's Ananias and Sapphira. They were slain in the Spirit, remember? They died. And he said, yes, I believe in sl- being slain in the Spirit, but I don't want to be slain by the Spirit. I want to be obedient to the Spirit. Well, what we have here is his posture. He's telling us, but notice in verse 13, he says, well, let me give you the verse right here. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. He was in prison. He brought the gospel to them, and then he was put in prison, and he's writing to them from prison. Now, what would, would that discourage you? I mean, think of the church in China. In China, the church is being persecuted heavily, like they haven't been for years. And yet, when you get any kind of communication from them, they are praising God for his grace and his goodness to them. Even though their leaders are thrown into jail or killed, they think that that's just a part of the Christian life and God is doing something wonderful for them. God is working in us. And he's working through us. And so he says, I don't want you to lose heart because I'm suffering because of what I did when I came to you. I preached the gospel to you and I was thrown in prison because that wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And so he says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf for they are your glory. It's your glory that I'm suffering because that's how much I love you. I'm willing to suffer for you in order to bring the gospel to you. And so Paul is in prison, and he's telling him this. And so then he says in verse 13, there, in, in verse uh, 14, uh, he, after asking them not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory, he says, because this is the reason that I bow my knees before the Father. Now that's a good posture for prayer, because it's humility. If you're a father, and you're not humble, there's something wrong with your brain. Because nothing humbles us like being the father. Of a family in a family because all of us fathers understand we're not spiritual giants we're not men full of all kinds of wisdom sometimes we manifest foolishness and so we need god and this is what he's doing he's praying for them because he knows that god is the only one who can meet their need so this is a good posture for prayer i gave it a little secret if you get up early before everybody else does It's easy to find a place to kneel and pray before the living God as you pray for your family. Now, I think mothers should pray for their families too, but I I find that as fathers who have the hardest time picking up this, this pattern in their life, that they are called because of their position in the family. They're the ones that their family looks at. They are the leaders of their homes, and they are to be on their knees before the living God praying for their family. And he says, that's why I bow my knees, from whom every family in heaven on earth. And I got down there at the bottom. You can see at the bottom of that uh, slide, father, the Greek word for father is patera. And the Greek word for family is patria. It comes from the word father. That's what a family is. A family is a group of people who are bound together by the father that they have in common. We have the same father. And the God of the universe is our father. And that's why Jesus told us how to pray. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember, he says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he goes on. We address the Father as we pray. And so Paul is saying, that's what I did. I bow my knee. That's what I do. I bow my knee before the Father, and I bring my request to him. And notice what his requests are. Uh, his requests in verses 16 through 19, first of all, that the Father would send the Spirit to empower them deep within, from deep within, that he would send the Spirit to work in our lives. So when I'm praying for my family, what I want to do is I want to pray that God would cause his Spirit to work deep in their hearts, to bring them to a deep and profound faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant, to, grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Uh, Christianity is something, the reason we have the Holy Spirit, we're, we're having a study on Sunday nights and we're going through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You're welcome to come and join us tonight if you'd like to. We meet at, we meet at 5 and we go till 6. And we, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we've learned is that the Spirit of God is indwelling every single believer. There's no such thing as a believer without the Holy Spirit. Because you couldn't live the Christian life if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And according to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ, because he gives every person who comes to him in faith the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and opens our eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. He lets us see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so all of us, all of us have the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because what we've been called to do is impossible apart from him. You can't serve God apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't do his will apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who can empower you to walk by faith, to trust the living God. And so that's what he's talking about. Now, so his first request is regarding the Holy Spirit, that the Father would send the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Let me explain the word dwell here. It's not the normal word for dwell. It means to settle down and feel at home. It means to to dwell down within and it means that Christ would come to have, the Holy Spirit, rather, would come to settle down in your hearts, or Christ would because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to believe that God loves us the way he says he does. That passage that you saw on the screen in Zephaniah 1, 3.17, to me, is almost impossible to believe. That, that Jesus exults over me with shouts of joy? Are you kidding me? Isn't that amazing? That he is that delighted in you? And this is, this is what, remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, uh, even though you haven't seen him, you love him, and though you're not seeing him now, but believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. He fills your heart with joy. That's one of the effects of the Holy Spirit's work in us by opening our eyes to who Christ is and who we are in the eyes of Christ. Um... And so he says that the Spirit, he was praying that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would, in, he would empower them in the deepest part of who they are, that they would come to have deep and profound confidence in, the, in God's love for them. And then he also tells is praying that they would receive understanding. Now notice what the, he wants them to understand. It's not that he wants them to understand the rules of the church. It's not that he wants them to understand this and that and the other thing. He wants them to understand something about Jesus. And this is what he says, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that is the love of Christ. How in the world did you ever come to faith in Christ? You know, I used to think that uh, I was responsible for getting my kids to come to faith in Christ. And then I came to see through the word of God, it's God. God wants them to come into the kingdom of God more than I do. And so he opened their eyes and allowed them to see who Jesus Christ, who God really is in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that they would come to have an understanding that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. What is it we need to know the height and depth of? It's the love of Christ. It's massive. What kind of love is this that he would would lay down his life for you? Why would he die for you? It says that he despised the shame, but because of the joy set before him, he gladly laid down his life for you. The joy of seeing you come to know the living God, his Father. And then, so this is what we, we pray for for our children. Here's an example, and it's the same example we had before. The example is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. That's, that's what Emmanuel means, that Jesus Christ is God in our midst. You you do understand that Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the gospel. As we meet here right now, Jesus Christ is here. If you're a believer, he is living in you. He's the one who draws you to the Father. If you belong to him, if the Father gave you to, to Jesus Christ, then you have a relationship with the triune God, and it's Jesus Christ who has accomplished that. And so uh, we, and he says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And I think he's talking about in the, form, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in our midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That stuns me. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. Don't you kind of assume every time you kneel down to pray that God's kind of tired of your weakness and your wandering? And so you just have to spend 30 minutes apologizing to him? I'm sorry I'm such a wreck. I'm sorry I'm so weak. I'm sorry I keep falling into the same old stuff day after day. I want to love you with all my heart. No, God's not disappointed in you. He chose you. And he gave you to his son. And he delights in you. That's amazing, isn't it? That he delights in us. It's beyond comprehension. But that's exactly what he says. It's the word of God. This is the word of God. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will calm you down, and he will exult, which means to praise. It means to give, express your joy in your thanksgiving. He will exult over you with loud singing. Some of you don't like loud singing, but you're probably going to be surprised when Jesus, when you hear Jesus singing over his people when they come into his presence. Because he sings over us. He rejoices in us with loud singing or shouts of joy. Sometimes it's translated. And so this is what this is all about. We need to understand Christ's love. It's beyond us. And so Paul is praying that they would come to understand the love of God in Christ Jesus. They would come to understand the height, the breadth, the length, the dimensions of the love of Christ. Sometimes uh, we find it so difficult to witness to somebody. God puts somebody right on our path. In fact, he may even start the conversation. And we're so timid about it. And what we don't realize is, wait a minute, I can tell this person about a loving Savior. The Bible says he loved you so much he was willing to go to the cross in your place to pay the penalty for your sin and to give you the opportunity to be made right with God, to have your sins forgiven and to walk in fellowship with God. One of the most burning verses in in my heart lately has been 1 John uh, 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. Uh, maybe, Maybe you're one of those people who is wise enough to know that It doesn't seem appropriate for me to have fellowship with God because i got so many faults. I have just so many faults. Why would God ever want to have fellowship with me? Well, here's what he's done to provide for you. He has caused his son, the blood of the son, which was his death on your behalf. He died under the judgment of God in your place. And it says that the blood of Jesus is, as you're having fellowship with God, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing you from all sin. Anything that would be an offense to the living, holy God has been washed away and is being washed away as you have fellowship with him. Now, that's, that is amazing, isn't it? The people of God throughout the ages have always been called the wife of God. And all that's saying is, is that, that God loves his people like a man is supposed to love his wife, and the people of God love God like a woman is supposed to respect her husband. Have a high, high value see him the most valuable thing in your life the living god we have a deep deep need to understand the love of christ it's so much better than we thought it's not like yeah jesus kind of covered his eyes and said okay i'll die for him i'll die for her no that's not what he did he said his affection on you Remember what Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless. He's removing every obstacle from us having an intimate relationship with him. That's what it means to be holy and blameless. So you could have an intimate relationship with him, and he loves you, and he wants you to know it, He wants you to see how deep this is so that you then in communicating who Jesus Christ is are going to be able to tell the truth. You're going to be able to tell people what he's really like. He's a lover of his bride. He loves his bride, the church. And so he calls people to himself so they can become a part of this entity, the church of Jesus Christ. And and then the next thing is... He prays that the Father would give to them from his fullness. There's a play on words here in the New Testament. The word fullness, pleroma, was what the pagans use. the idolaters. They use that as a name for their gods, the pleroma. But it means fullness. And so Paul takes the word and he uses uses it for the fullness of God's deity and power. You are serving a God who has all the power, that you could ever imagine that you needed. He's a God who's full of Godhood. And so he's praying for us that we, the Father would give to them, my family, from, the, from his fullness. And then here's what it says in the passage, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that an amazing expression? That you would be filled up to all the fullness of God that you would receive the fullness of God, you would have God in his fullness living in you and manifesting his love for you? Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4.13, I've got those verses listed there, says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that is, that we all come to have the same kind of faith in Jesus Christ, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He's talking about the, the church coming to its maturity, loving God, representing God. Colossians one nineteen says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in him. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ is fully God. He's the eternal Son of God. He has the very same nature as the Father. And he's your Savior. And he came to dwell in you. That, that, that word there, to dwell in you, means to move in and settle down. You ever have anybody do that? One time we had some friends I hadn't seen for years. I went to a seminary with this guy. And he called up and said, we're coming to California. I'd like to come by and see you. I said, okay, come and stay with us. So they come and stayed with us. And uh, I hadn't seen him in a long time. He came with his family and two or three kids. And uh, all they wanted to do was go to the beach. That's all they wanted to do. In fact, they finally told us, you know, you don't have to go with us. (laughs) We can find our way to the beach. They found their way to the beach. But they settled down and felt at home in our home so they could go to the beach. They didn't really want to talk to us. They didn't want to have much to do with us. But they did settle down and feel at home. That's what Jesus Christ did in your life. But guess who he wants to talk to? Guess who he wants to fellowship with? You. And you think, man, I'm so boring. I shy away from getting around people because I know I'm as boring as I'll get-up. I'm telling you the truth. And, uh, and yet God wants to be with us, and Jesus Christ came to dwell in us. He settled down, and, and he is at home in you. That is just amazing. We are being filled with the fullness of God. So that we can we love we love Jesus Christ the way the Father loved Him. Do you remember when Jesus said in in to His disciples He said in John He says I'm praying that you will come to know the love of the Father the way I've known the love of the Father from all eternity. I want you to come to experience the love of the Father the way I did from all eternity. The Father has loved me, and I want you to feel what that's like. Isn't that something? (laughs) That he actually wants us to know that God loves us, that he is overwhelmingly affectionate for us. He cares about us. That's amazing. And then Paul's motivations. He tells us what his motivations are in his prayer. First, it's his confidence in God's ability. He knows that God is absolutely able. And here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Sometimes people are afraid that they're asking too much of God. Let me tell you something. You can't ever strain him. There's no way you could ask him for something. He says, wow, he just. Now, I know that there's, there's wrong things to ask for. Bob Dylan said that, remember? You think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. No, that's not what he is. He's your father, and he loves you. And he wants you to know his love, and he wants you to know his presence and his power. And so he's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. What if you asked him? I I ask you to take this as a challenge. Why don't you see if you could ask him for something that's far beyond what he could do? See if you could ask him to do something that he couldn't do. Now, you you can't cheat and say, well, I want you to sin. I want you to do wrong. No, he can't do that because it would violate his character. But there's nothing that you need that he could not give to you. And he has all resources in himself. He has the fullness in himself, which means that the theologians call this a saity, And all that means is he has life in himself. He doesn't need anything else. My sister's trying to talk me into getting a sleep test to see if I need one of those CPACs. And she's, uh, you know, telling me all about it. Maybe I have sleep apnea or something. And, uh, It made me think about God. God doesn't wear a CPAC. God doesn't need anything. you, You don't need to give him a transfusion. He doesn't need food. He has life in himself. And so you can never overtax him. You can ask him to work in your life. You can ask him to give you love for Christ like you've never had. You can ask him to be an agent of his, to be an ambassador of Christ, to share Christ with others because he is able to transform us and to make us into what we are not. So he has confidence in God's ability. Secondly, he has zeal for God's glory. He wants God to be glorified. He wants him to do things that glorify him. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. He wants every believer to say, "Wow! I cannot get over how glorious God is. I keep digging into this, and it seems like it goes forever. It's a vein of gold that never dies out. He is so glorious. He's so overwhelming. What a good and gracious God he is. We sing that little chorus, he's a good, good father. Oh, you better believe it, he is. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And then I wanted to ask you to do this. This is your assignment. Will you pray for your family this week based on this pattern? Are you willing to go before the father and ask him to work in your your, your, your family's life in this way, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they could live their lives as agents, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Got the best news there is. You know, it's wonderful when somebody brings somebody to you and they say, hey, I told them about what you said about this. Would you please explain that to them? That's great. You get a chance to talk about who God is and what his word says of him. I uh, I wrote a note to uh, Joan. All of you understand she went through the surgery, okay? She's in rehab uh, to get to the place where she can get up and walk. And she's having some real struggles, some real challenges. I sent her an email, and I quoted Zephaniah 317, and I told her how God loves her. And he's going to bring her through this. He's promised. Because he told her to do this. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. God's in charge of this. That's why you're in this hospital. That's why you've had a hip replacement. Is because God's in charge. And he says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand by casting all your anxieties on him. What are you, what are you anxious about? Cast them on him. Because he, it matters to him about you. That's hard to believe, isn't it? It matters to him about you. You know, last week when you were complaining to yourself about how bad things were, you couldn't believe that God allowed this to happen? Remember that? Well, what you need to do is say, God, I thank you that I know for sure that you are for me and not against me. It matters to you about me. You could even sing that song. There's actually a song based on that. It matters to him about you. Everything. He loves you and he cares for you. And he wants you to come to know him in that way. He wants you to come to have a deep and profound knowledge of him. So will you pray for your family this week? That's the assignment. There's another one. Next week, I want you to ask me if I prayed for my family. (laughs) Uh, Ask me. I mean it. Because that will stir me on. If I think you're going to do that, believe me, I'll be praying for my family, including you. Because you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And isn't it a blessing to see God bless his people? He pours out his grace upon them and blesses them because he loves them. You know, if you were to ask God every time you got blessed and you say, why did, why did you do that? You would say, because I love you. And because you're a part of my heart, I care about you. That's why I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. How do you compute that? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. If you start enumerating those and you started a list and you said, you just wrote down what the Bible says he's done for you. Like he chose you before the foundation of the world. That means he chose you to love you. He chose you as an object of his love and blessing. It's incredible. God has done so much for us. And sometimes we treat him as though he's a distant entity that we have. We know about a few things about, but he isn't like a father that we love. And we love to be in his presence. Uh, The book of Hebrews tells us that we have free access to the Father. We have entree any moment, any time. Like if you're out there spinning around on the freeway about to have a horrible accident, you can call upon the Lord. He hears you. He cares about you. And he has an open door. And then the writer of Hebrews adds to that. He says, and by the way, you have freedom of speech. You can tell him exactly what it is that you think your need is. I was really struggling with anxiety here a while back, as old people do, you know, worried that somebody's going to steal everything you have or, or mess your life up in some way. And I ran on to Philippians uh, 4 about, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I had never noticed something about that verse. It doesn't say, if you believe with all your heart, if you, uh, if you prove yourself to be a true disciple, if you prove that you really have faith, then this is going to happen. He just said, let your, be known to me, let your requests be known to God by prayer and supplication. Supplication is just another word for prayer, which means asking for things that you really feel deeply. I really have a deep feeling about this. I crave this. I want this so bad. There's a few things I want in life. Uh, I want to see God work in my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I want to see the power of God manifested in their lives. And so I crave for those things, and that's what I tell him about all the time. Because he cares. It matters to him about you, your heartaches, your sorrows. He cares. Regardless of what you may do, it matters to him about you. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. You see, I'm stuck on the Bible. I actually believe the Bible's true. I have absolute total confidence that it's true. So when I read it, sometimes I say, I don't understand this. This is really hard for me. But I never say, that can't be true. I say, I know it's true, but it seems like it's impossible, isn't it? That Jesus would rejoice over me with shouts of joy? I wonder what he's shouting I've had people shout at me before, haven't you? I've never had him say, "I love you so much, I just want to scream." <laughs> but that's what that's what he's saying. He is he's in in the book of Jude, at the end of Jude. I'm going to shut up right now, I promise. The end of Jude it says that Jesus is going to offer you when he brings you to the Father at the end of life. He's going to bring you to the Father and present you to the Father with great joy. In fact, it means with the singing of a joyful hymn, he's going to present you to the Father. You remember this one that we thought would never make it? You remember this one that we wondered if he ever would? No, there's none like that. He offers you up to the Father with great joy. And it's it's the joy of Christ. It's the joy of Christ that he bought you and he sanctified you and he made you fit for heaven. He gave you uh, he took away your blame, blame, and he gave you. He made you holy and blameless before Him in love, so that you could live in the presence of God for all eternity. That's what He's done for us. And I ask myself, what have I done for Him? Hardly anything. Hardly anything. Let me pray for you, and then we'll stop. Our Father, I confess to you. I don't want to break down and weep, but I. I just can't get over this, that you love us in this way, that you loved us so much that you gave your Son, that you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are astounded by this, Father. I, you know it would be a wonderful thing for you to do for us? Would you allow us to hear in our hearts Christ singing because of his joy over us this week? May we experience this deep, profound love that Christ has for us and the expression of it. Help us to walk with you this week, Father. Help us to walk in the light as you're in the light so that we get a fellowship with you and with one another. Pour out your blessings on your people, Father, and let us know the love of Christ like never before. May we begin to understand the height and breadth and length and depth of the love of Christ which passes human understanding. We pray you'd do do that for us this week, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.